Dear Lord, we thank you for your salvation. I thank you for Christ who came to save us from our sins. We thank you for that precious gospel. We ask that you would help us, everyone here this morning, to hear your word. Help me to preach your word. Give me clarity of mind. Bring to remembrance what I know about this passage. Prepare the hearts of these people. Give them attentiveness. And Lord, you are sovereign. You are good. You are gracious. Um, I, as I meditate on this, I, I feel this message has the potential to be a disaster in terms of presentation, or maybe a real blessing in terms of presentation, but whatever happens, you get the glory, because this is your word. Thank you, Lord. Be with us as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 to 7. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. The Word of God says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the, of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What do you do, I want to ask you, when you get sick? What do you do when you try everything at home to get well? And at one point you realize, I just need to go to the doctor. I know that you want to get the best, the best doctor out there. Somebody who can, who has the experience, the knowledge, the education to find out exactly what your problem is and also somebody who can also give you the right diagnosis that can really tell you what you have and what you need to overcome your problem, to get healed. I was talking with a with a friend of mine yesterday, I just called her to 
uh, remind me of a, of a story that she told me um, like a year ago. She went to the doctor for a checkup, and she was feeling great. She was feeling, feeling good. It was just a routine uh, checkup. And uh, unfortunately, the, doc the doctor calls her back and says, we need to talk. Basically, she, he told her, you had cancer. And that was really choking for her because she had no idea. She was feeling great. But uh, by the grace of God, uh, the cancer was in, on stage one. So they moved quickly and they did surgery on her after two weeks. And guess what? She's, she's doing great now. She, she's just doing some, some, some treatments, some, some checking up every, every two months, and she's doing great. And um, I think that in a similar way, sometimes we as Christians, we have certain illness. And sometimes everything looks fine in the outside. Everything looks great, but sometimes it's so sad that we can be very sick spiritually and we don't even realize it. So we need Christ to tell us what this sick is and how to treat it. And I believe this passage will help us in that um, direction. This passage will tell us what kind of illness you may have, a spiritual illness, it will tell you how to, um, what can you do to get better. In fact, you need to take three steps, urgent steps, in order to, for you to be, to go back to good health. See, if I can tell you those three urgent steps. The first one is in verses one, two, three. And I named this urgent step as keep up the good work. Remember that. <laughs> keep up the good work, verses 1 to 3. The second urgent step that you need to take is in verses 4 and 5. And I call it, or we can call it, go back to the past. Go back to the past. And the third urgent step is in verses 6 and 7 which is called look forward to the promise. Look forward to the promise. So keep up the good work, go back to the past, look forward to the promise. Verse 1 says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. This is John, of course, as you, I'm sure you know. This is the Apostle John writing the book of Revelation in the island of Patmos. He was there because of his faithfulness. He was there because he was preaching God's word. And while he was there, he has this revelation, his, this vision from God. And at one point, this is the first letter, Christ basically dictated him a seven letters, actually, for the churches. Some people believe that these seven uh, churches were chosen to exemplify every problem, every test, every issue that the churches for the rest 
of the world until the second coming will experience. They were carefully chosen for us to teach us something about the church. What is interesting is this is Christ talking directly to the churches. To the angel of the church, says verse 1, I believe the angel of the church is a sort of representative of the church in Ephesus. It's not a real person. It's somebody who represents the church in Ephesus, and it's directed to him. Now, let me tell you that the church of Ephesus was um, was pastor or led by the, pastor, the apostle Paul himself. He preached, and he was uh, their leader for a while. Then Timothy took his place, and also the Apostle John himself was his pastor for a while. So, it's as we will see, it's very interesting and kind of sad too to understand that having these great leaders in this particular church, still you can have problems and still you can have spiritual diseases that can affect a church. So, the angel of the church in Ephesus, Ephesus was a city. A city marked by idolatry, marked by idolatry to different gods, but the, this church in Ephesus was faithful. Here, in the second part of the verse 1, we see Christ making a, um, a description of himself. He's describing himself in part 2, verse 1. He says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This is a, a metaphor that we found in chapter 1. This is Christ himself saying that he holds the seven stars who are the seven churches. We read this in verse 20 as for the, as for, in chapter 1. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the representatives, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there you go. You don't have to work really hard to interpret what those metaphors mean. It's right there. The angels are the churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Christ is saying that he holds the church. We are, as believers, in his hands. He is sovereign. He directs us. That's a good thing. Because we are in his hand. It means in hands. We, he, we can trust him. That we are being held by him tightly. Then he describes himself as the one who walks the seven golden stumps. He is the one who is present also in the church. Not physically present, but spiritually present. He's here. He is anywhere where Christians get together around the world. He is present. And he expects for the churches to be a light as lamp stands. To be a light in this dark world. That's why we are called lampstands, because we are to shine and to bright in this dark world. Let's go to verse 2. This is interesting. 
what Christ is about to say here in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your and perseverance. I believe the word known, no, there it, it, it has the idea of knowledge that is complete, that is a perfect knowledge. There's another word for knowledge that is knowledge that you grow with time. For example, I know my wife for 15 years. We, we got married actually 15 years ago. So every once in a while, I get to know something about her. A little thing, it, my, my knowledge of her grows with time. But this is not the knowledge that Christ has of the churches. His knowledge is perfect. His knowledge is complete. That's why he says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. He's describing the good things about this church. He's saying that they work hard, that they persevere. It's very positive. I know your dear deeds. I know what you have done. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. This is a church that, is, that was bold, that confronted false teachers, that they confronted false apostles, that put to the test what these people, that these false teachers, these false apostles were saying. They were courageous. They persevered. They could not tolerate evil men. I like that. Because sometimes in this uh, age, even in churches, it's so sad to me that you seem to hear, you know, it's about love and how can you judge? How can you confront that in such a way? It's just a matter of opinion. But this church wasn't like that. They could not tolerate evil men and their lies and their false teaching. And they put to the test those who call themselves apostles. That's the same thing we need to do. We need to call them out. We need to examine what they teach with the scriptures. And if what they're saying is not true, we need to say it. We cannot tolerate false teaching. And actually it says at the end of verse 2, And you found them to be false. They were bold. They confronted that. They said, you are false teachers. You are false apostles. What you teach is false. And we will not tolerate that false teaching. In verse 3, Jesus continues to recognize the good deeds of this church. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. Look at that. They persevere. They work really hard. They kept going. They have endurance. And they did it for the, for the right reason, for my name's sake. They had the right motivation. They have not grown weary. All of these are good things. All of these are, are good deeds that this church were doing. So far, so good, right? Everything is great. Everything is positive. It's so encouraging to hear the Lord. Imagine that he will say this about you. You'll feel great. Like, wow, that's, thank you, Lord. I, I just feel uh, humble that you actually recognize what I've been doing and, and my hard work and my intolerance of false teaching and my perseverance. That's great. But look at the next, next word in verse 5. But that's a contrast. It reminds me when you were in a school, some of you are still are, 
and uh, your mom calls you and says, we need to talk about your grades. I just came from school and I got your grades and, and you did great in history. You did great in English. Keep up the good work. But, oh no, you know that you're in trouble. And you immediately think to yourself, what did I fail now? Guess what? You failed math. So when you hear the little word bad, you, you, after something was very positive, here comes trouble. But this is the same thing. Verse 4, but I have this against you. This is a conference that you have left your first love. This is the most important verse in this section. I have this against you. This is so sad. Imagine Christ telling that to you. There's something I have against you. Even though you have done all these good things, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What does it mean to leave or to forsake your first love? What does it mean? Is something that you left? Is something that you pursued other than uh, Christ or God or others? What is it? I believe it's a love for God, a love for Christ. If you go to Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells them, and, and, and to the same church, he praised them, and he acknowledged their love for Christ. And then in the same letter, he praised them, and he um, encouraged them, and, and, and tells them about their love for other saints. So I believe this love is about loving Christ and loving people. Loving your brothers and sisters. Even loving the lost. You have left your first love. And by the way, this is the second urgent step that you need to take. Go back to the past. Very interesting. Go back to the past. This is a sickness Forsaking love that we can call loveless orthodoxy. I didn't come up with the name. I read it somewhere. But I like it. Loveless orthodoxy. But there's something that you can do about it. First thing you need to do in this uh, urgent step, there's three actions that you need to take. Here's the first action in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. That's the first action of the second urgent step. Very interesting. Remember. Actually, the verb here means keep on remembering. Something that you need to do continually. Keep on remembering from where you have fallen. Think about it. You have fallen. It means that you, at some point in your Christian life, were high, higher than today, at least. And you have fallen. You fell. And guess what? You stay there. You're still on the floor, somehow, spiritually speaking. You have not stood up. And you need to go up there. And maybe you don't know how. Maybe you have tried many times and you feel, man, 
I'm not the same man I used to be. I'm not the same woman I used to be. I have different feelings for God and for people, for the lost. But here's the solution. The first action that you need to take, remember. Interesting. Remember from where you have fallen. Can you remember? I'm telling you right now. I'm asking you right now to remember. Use your memory. I want you to go back in time now and remember maybe a time that is, it was close to your conversion or close to a spiritual awakeness that you have in the past. Can you recall that? Can you remember that time when you were so excited, where, when you were so filled with joy? Maybe your circumstances were worse than today. Maybe your physical health was worse than today. But for some reason, you were so happy, so joyful. And the reason was because you were saved from hell, from the wrath of God, from your sins. You were justified. You were cleansed. You were brought to God as a son or daughter. And you were so excited. Now, some of you may say to me now, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a new believer. I'm just experiencing what you're saying right now. Maybe some of the younger ones can say the same thing. I have no idea what this guy is talking about. Because you're young. Because maybe your experience as a Christian is not so strong yet. But let me tell you, I can guarantee you, you will experience this sickness, forsaken love. The only difference is the degree. The only difference is the time that you will get to forsake the love for Christ. It's so sad, but I believe it will happen. So this is important for all of us, whether you are experiencing right now an awakening in your life, or especially if you right now can tell that you are cold in your love. But remember, I invite you to remember. Remember those times. What did you do? Where you were? What you were doing? What were you used to do? Think about it. When you pray, how about, how, how about that? How was your prayer life? Was it long? Was it sweet? Did you open your heart to the Lord? You told her, told him what you have inside. You had long prayers and sweet moments. People had to shake you up and say, hey, enough. You have to work to work because you, you get kind of lost um, time. You didn't know how long you were praying. It was so natural. You were so thankful. How about your Bible reading time? Everything you read was so precious to you in the Word. Everything was gold for you. You had a feast in God's Word. Everything was so precious, so important, so directed to you. You just love the Word of God. How about evangelism? Maybe you naturally were an evangelist because you, even though you were so young in the faith, or you were experiences, experiencing this awakening, that it was so natural for you to tell others about Christ, about what He did in your life, about that He died for your sins and gave you forgiveness. And unfortunately, now you... Don't feel the same anymore. 
you lost something. You're cold. It's not the same. You, you, you still are very, maybe, active in the church. You're a member. You show up to every Bible study. But it's just not the same. But you remember. Maybe you have the sweetest fellowship with other believers. You kept talking and talking. You couldn't wait for Sunday to come because it was, you just so loved your local church and your brothers and sisters. The pastor had to kick you out of the building because you just keep talking and talking and sharing. And you kept talking in the parking lot because just you love the church. You have this uh, fire and desire for the things of God, for Christ himself, for God. But Christ is saying, remember. Keep on remembering. And for all of us, it might be different. I just want you to think about your own experience of being on fire for God. Verse 5, therefore remember from where you have fallen. This is the second urgent step. And it's also the second action in this urgent step. The second action is to repent. Repent. Right there you notice that this is a sin. It's a, it's a sin to forsake the love for God and for others and for the lost even. You need to change your mind. You need to stop right now and turn away from what you're doing. It's a change of mind that leads into change of behavior. So first, action, remember. Second, action, action repent. And third, action in these urgent steps. Do the deeds you did at first. Interesting. You might think, wow, this sounds like I have to do a lot of things. Yes. It's about deeds. It's about doing. But how can you say that? I thought it was about faith and hope and grace. It is. But it's about doing too. It's about trusting. Do you trust the Lord? He's telling you, remember. He's telling you, repent. He's telling you now, do. Really. Doing those things that you remember. Would you do it? If you do it, I guarantee you, you will regain. You will recapture what you lost. You will recapture your first love if you remember, if you practice remember, if you keep on remembering, if you repent, and if you do, actually do the deeds you did at first. What did you do? I don't know. Did you hear sermons during the week that somehow gave you this fire for Christ? Did you spend some time in the morning and you're, you're not doing it anymore? Maybe you got up early to read the word. What did you do? Maybe there were some hymns that they used to sing. Maybe there were some books that they used to read. Whatever it was, that it was spiritual. Start doing those things again. It's not, before I forget, it's not doing more things. It's just go back to those things. Rearrange your life towards God, where God is the center. Show up to that Bible study, if that's what it is. Keep coming back to church, to the local church. Come and talk with your pastor. Get those coffees and lunches with your brothers. Whatever it was, 
start doing those things again and you will get better. You'll get on fire. Here's a warning. Second part of verse 5. If you fail to do these three things, there's a warning from Christ. If you don't do this, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lamp stand out of its place unless you repent. This, is, this shows how serious Christ is about forsaking our love for him and for others. I don't think this is the second coming. I think this is a coming that is local to the church, to the local church, to your life, to your, to your particular life as a Christian. I'm coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Sounds a little harsh, but it shows the passion of Christ for you to repent, to stop forsaking your first love. It's so sad. I, I think the idea here is that Christ will remove the local churches. He will, he will make them disappear spiritually. They may still have the, the, the building and the place, but they won't make an impact anymore. Do you know of churches like that? There are a lot of churches like that. They used to be vibrant and passionate about preaching the, the gospel and, and, and loving Christ and, and sharing Christ and doing Bible study and preaching the word and singing hymns. But after a while, it's just not the same. They have forsaken their first love for Christ. It's so sad. Maybe some, another pastor's come, a pastor comes to the church. And you can still see the building. And you remember, wow, that church was packed in the past. But now, still there. But there's just nothing going on there. That's what Christ does. It takes the light. And I believe he can, he can do it also in our personal lives. If we refuse to repent, if we refuse to remember, if we refuse to do the things that we did in the past, he may take our impact. Our lives will remain without real change, without real difference for us to do in the work, in the world. It's sad. I'm sure you have seen Christians like that too. This is dangerous stuff. Because if you lost your first love, it can lead to other things. Of course, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but you can lose your joy. You can use, lose your witnessing. You can lose your passion, your fire. And at one point, Christ will say, well, i taken out your impact in the world. You'll still there. You're still saved. But you won't have the same capacity, the same fire that you had before. This is a warning. Verse 6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I love this part, verse 6. You know why? Because of, if, you, if you really think about what we just read in the second part of, part 
verse 5, it was kind of uh, sad, right? It was kind of harsh for Christ to tell you those things. I'll remove your lampstand out of its place, out of its place unless you repent. He was like, it doesn't really leave you with a, with a good feeling. I um, relate with my two boys right there, Ian and Evan. Because when I know that, that, that I need to talk to them and I need to uh, talk about something that they have done, uh, I try, at least I try to follow a pattern. First, I acknowledge, I, I encourage them for the things that they have done right. And I tell them, you know, guys, you're doing great. You're working hard. You're making some progress. Yeah, you're getting your homework done. I see that you are um, caring more for one another. So I, I, I encourage you. I, I commend you for those things. That's great. But you have been very disobedient this week to your mother. I wouldn't just leave it like that. I'll punish you if you don't change. I'll actually say that. I'll change, start obeying your mom, or I will discipline you. But I don't leave it like that. I say one more thing. But, but this good thing you have, you guys are getting great at, at, at working together and, 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 and building things. And I remember the other day you did a, a good thing for, for, for the friend of yours. You actually share your food. I encourage you to keep doing that. I commend you for that. So you leave a sweet taste. You keep reminding them of the good things that they have done. But at the same time, you, you warn because you love them. This is the same. The same is true in this letter. Christ wants to bring again the good things that this church was doing. And he talks about this group, Nicolaitans. There are some debates about what this uh, group of people were. Some people connect them with the false apostles. It might be. We don't know. We don't know for sure. There are at least three or four um, interpretations of this particular group. Some think that it was a group that was known to be wild, uh, a, a sort of Christian sect that they were doing whatever they want to do. Very liberal, very, very immoral in their practices. They kind of, I imagine that they were kind of, it's all about grace and I can do whatever I want because God uh, sent Christ to die for my sins. Some form of, um, what is this theological term that expressed this idea of uh, you don't want to, you don't feel that you have to obey God's commandments. Antinomianism. Some others feel that and believe that this was a group that uh, were followers of some man called Nicolas. So they were followers of them. We just don't know. But what we know is that this church, the Ephesian, Ephesian church, hated the deeds of this group. And this is very interesting in the second part of verse 6, which I also hate. Do you ever think about that? That Christ actually hates, abhors the deeds of false believers, of sects? He actually hates that. 
And we should hate those things too. We should abhor and hate false teaching because of what it does. It condemns people to hell. It leads them to hell, to the wrath of God, to condemnation. So we should hate with somebody that stands up and takes the Bible and says, this is what the Bible says, and they tell lies. You should hate that too. It's strange to me that pe uh, people don't think that way about Christ. They will say Christ is all about love and grace and mercy, and it's true. But he also hates. And this particular verse tells us that he hates the deeds of, of false Christians, Christian groups, of false teachers. Here's the last part. The last part of, of our three urgent step, which is called look forward to the promise. Look forward to the promise. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Great. Do you have an ear? Is it for you? It's for everybody. I like it because it, Christ is making sure that this message is not only for this particular church, but for everybody. Whoever is willing to hear, to pay attention, what the Spirit, Spirit says to the churches. So there you go. It's not only for these churches, for the churches in general. The churches at the time and the churches until the Christ come, comes back again. It's for this church. It's for you as a believer. Second part of verse 7. To him who overcomes. I want you to understand that this is not for a special group of Christians who are victorious and they win and they are smart and powerful and strong. This reference is for every Christian. Every Christian is an overcomer. Every Christian is victorious because what Christ did for us on the cross. So it is for you. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Interesting. I don't know about you, but there's something that helps me to keep going, especially during these times. You see irrationality, you see protests, you see violence, you see hatred, you see confusion and lies, and it can be very discouraging. Even you have your own personal circumstances that, that can be very discouraging. Whatever that is, a sickness, a loved one who doesn't know the Lord, and you uh, suffer and, and, and get discouraged because of your own sin, because of your children, your parents, your friends, your work, your health, whatever that is. It's easy to get discouraged, but there's something that helps me to keep going, and that is... The promise of eternal life that reminds me that this thing will not go forever. Someday in the future, Christ will come back to this earth and will establish his kingdom 
on earth for a thousand years. And he will make everything right. He will destroy his enemies. It will, it, I'm looking forward for that promise. And you should do that too. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, it's going to be marvelous. Why? Because you want sin again. You're not going to fight against your sin again. No more sickness. No more death. No more sorrow. All the sin, all the chaos will be no more at that time. When I think about that, I keep going. This won't be going forever. So I keep working. I keep, I keep standing up because I trust in that promise. And that's what you need to do too. Look forward. Meditate in heaven, in the paradise, paradise of God. In that place, the Lord will grant you to eat the tree of life. This is the idea of you having eternal life. You will live forever in a place that, is, that it is called paradise of God. What a pleasant image for you to think about, a paradise. To me, and I think to the text too, it gives you the idea of the Garden of Eve. What else can be more pleasant that, than that? To go back to that place before the fall, of course, and see a river, the tree. Everything is green. The, 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 the sky is blue. Everything was beautiful and perfect. No sin, no death, no sickness, no chaos, no war, no lies, no confusion. And the Lord is telling us, I will, I, will, I will grant you to eat of the tree of life. You will live forever. You will be with me in the paradise of God. That should bring you hope if you think about this particular promise of heaven and eternal life. So my friend, how about you? Have you forsaken your first love? You know what to do now. You know it is a sin. You know that you need to, be, to remember what you used to do in the past in your Christian life. And you need to actually do those these deeds again. That's what you need to do. Let me tell you that Christ, the great physician, the great doctor, has provided for you a cure in three steps that you must follow. You don't need a second, second opinion. He has perfect knowledge of your case. He is actually free. You don't have to pay. You don't have to have uh, insurance. You can go anytime. You don't have to make an appointment. He knows you. He has perfect knowledge. He cares about you. You can go, go to the doctor, to this great physician, anytime. So I encourage you to go to him. I encourage you to think about these things, to remember, to repent, and to restart. For those of you who don't know Christ, I plead with you, come to Christ. This is your day. 
Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Don't think about tomorrow. It is today. Today, Christ offers you salvation because of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died for sinners. Are you a sinner? You. Apply. Come to him. Repent of your sins. Put your trust in him and in him alone and not in your works. And he'll save you instantly the moment you put your faith in him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. I trust that the Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts this morning. Please help us. We come to you in weakness. We acknowledge that we are weak, that we need you for everything. We know that without you we can do nothing. So please help us. I know that you command this for us to do because we are actually able to do it with your help, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Give us a great desire, a greater desire to come back and to do the things that we used to do. Help us. Give us repentance. Help our memory to go back in time and to remember what we used to do, what we used to feel, where we used to go. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.